As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Tolkien Road, Episode 191, Unfinished Tales, The Quest of Erebor, Part 2. Hello everyone, welcome to The Tolkien Road, Episode 191, Unfinished Tales, The Quest of Erebor, Part 2. Greta, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Good. How are you? Good. Wonderful. Right on. Uh, yeah, so we're continuing with our discussion from last week. Uh, Quest of Erebor mm -hmm. uh, from Unfinished Tales. Last week we looked at really the first half of this chapter and right up to the point of where it says appendix. And this week we're going to be looking at some of the stuff that was left out of that and a little bit of like the, um, the textual history of this all. I have to say, like, as I'm reading, as I've been reading this, um, I find myself wishing that Christopher had been a little more, uh, just a little more cavalier with, like, editing these things into more easily digestible stories, because it gets, it gets very confusing mm -hmm. sorting it all out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like once you actually get to the text, it's really enjoyable. And it's like, oh, that's how that worked. Or, you know, that's that's cool. But it would have been nice to, like, have it as, like, here's the story. And then maybe, like, the throw the appendix at the end or something like that. Because I just feel like it's, like, you've got, like, this introduction. And it's like, okay, here's the background of this. And then here's the actual story. And it's like a frame within a frame within a frame. Right. And it just it gets really confusing, really confusing. sometimes. Yes. So that's part of our mission right now is to try to sort some of this out for you. Demystify it all. Uh, it, but you're still going to be subject to any 
hangover mystification that we have uh, well, from yes. from having read it. So that goes without saying, probably. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, so our uh, wanted to say thank you to our newest patron, Rebecca N R. Thanks, Rebecca, for thank your pledge, you, Rebecca. Yes. And uh, if you would like to become a patron, those of you who are listening who are not currently patrons, if you would like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash Tolkien Road and don't forget to pledge one dollar or more per episode and you can set a monthly limit when you do it. So word. Yeah. Good good deal. Um and uh please don't forget to rate us on iTunes if you haven't already. Please leave us a five star rating or whatever wherever you happen to listen. Uh, many of you maybe the majority still listen on iTunes or via the Apple Podcast app. So please leave us a five star rating and say some nice nice things about us. Thanks to those who recently have left us some reviews over there and uh, and said some nice things about us. Yeah, we appreciate it. We do very much. Uh, it's always awesome to hear those things. And uh, we'd love to hear from you at Tolkien Road Podcast at Gmail dot com. Um, you're also you can go to the website TolkienRoad.com and you can find the episode you can find the post for this episode once it's up and uh, you can leave comments there right so um, and we'll respond to those comments as well uh, and when I say we it's like the royal we because Greta mm-hmm. doesn't do much responding to the comments no. No. You, have, you have to kind of give Greta a shout out or say something nice for me to forward it to her. So <laughs> it's actually true. I do enjoy seeing them though when you do forward them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's like the best of both worlds. I get to read them, but then I just get to bask in the glory of the praise, and I don't have to do anything else. That's pretty sweet. It is a good deal. Pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Uh, lastly, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and send us a speak pipe if you want to be heard on the next episode. You haven't gotten one of those in a while. Yeah, you know, I guess people are, uh, you know, shy, maybe. Yeah, maybe they just don't so, like the sound of their own voice. Well. I don't like the sound of my own voice. That's why I never listen to our podcast. You, Oops. You can go, you can go leave one, and if you don't, if you think you sound dumb, then uh, then you can you don't have to send it in, right? So it'll actually play back for you before you submit it. But uh, you know, I've I've been there, and uh, but here's the thing: you don't sound as dumb as you think you do. No, you don't. So, you are your own worst critic in every sense of the word, yeah, including we, when we it all, comes to the sound of your own voice. We all are. Yeah, we all are. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other uh, announcement that I want to put out there, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode. I've launched a new video series over on YouTube. It's a it's an eight-part guide to the Silmarillion called Intro to the Silmarillion. Um, and I've got five of the eight videos up right now. should have the last three up within, hopefully within the next week, uh, maybe two weeks. Um, just waiting on some final word from some of the artists whose artwork I'm uh, hoping to use in these videos. Uh, but it features a lot of beautiful artwork from the first age uh, from a variety of different artists who have depicted the the story various scenes from the stories of the Silmarillion in their own style so it's really cool you should go over there and check it out and uh, check out these videos uh, they're designed to give you the basics for a good first time read of the Silmarillion and um, yeah I'm pretty you know I'm pretty happy with how they've turned out and head on over there and subscribe to uh, to my channel to the Tolkien Road channel over there because I'm planning on keeping on uh, keeping on with that even past this series and doing more. Doing more videos like this. Awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Very I've been having cool. fun doing these, having fun creating these. So um our current plan for the next several episodes, as we mentioned to you last time, we're gonna finish finish the quest of Erebor today. Yep. And then we're going to we're gonna continue on the Hobbit backstory or Hobbit um 
I guess maybe apocrypha trajectory that we're on. And we're going to take a look at, we're going to, we're going to probably do, it's probably going to be, end up being like three or four episodes at least on the lost chapters. Very cool. From the history of the Hobbit, which these are the chapters that were Tolkien's attempt to rewrite the Hobbit more in the style of the Lord of the Rings. It's actually the the section of that book, the history of the Hobbit called the 1960 Hobbit. And I think it'll be a lot of fun to look at that and, Think about mm-hmm. what might have been with that. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. So that's our that's where we'll be going next on the Tolkien Road, and after that we plan on coming back to Unfinished Tales for more from the Third Age. Uh, we'll also be taking a look at the Hobbit graphic novel, which I've you know I've had on my bookshelf for a while now, and have been meaning to get to. And and then after that, I hope to get into a dis- more thorough discussion of the long history of the Third Age, between really the end of. Um, uh, the first fall of Sauron at the uh, uh, last alliance of men and elves, all the way through to the um, all the way through to the great years, as they're known, the, the, the years of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. So there's like three thousand years of history in there, which most of us don't know a whole lot about. So I thought it would be fun to spend. Who knows how long we'll spend in that? We could get really, we could we, we might end up spending years in that. I don't know, but I think it'll be a lot of fun to just dive into that history and see what we can find. Yeah, so, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good plan. All right. So, Unfinished Tales, The Quest of Erebor, Part 2. So, yeah. So, Greta, did you understand, like, the textual history here? I, how it all works? I think so. Um, I feel like I was reading, and at one point I was like, I just need to go ask John, like, to clarify this or this or whatever. And then I was like, you know, I'll just keep reading, and maybe I'll figure it out. And I think I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. It's basically like it's it's it's. At first, I thought what we're going to discuss today. I thought it was just basically a, another version of mm-hmm. what we talked about. Okay. Last week, which I think in large part it is, but it provides some more background and some more kind of pieces to the puzzle if you will yeah you got it i mean that's that's the basic idea now and i think if if you had said it if christopher had written it written it in those terms it might have been a little easier to understand but i I just think it's funny because it's clear it's so clear that christopher and his father J.R. tolkien were academics total academics right yes because that's that's the style in which they wrote mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and it and it does it makes it with because there's so much great stuff in unfinished tales and in the history of middle earth and what's funny to me is like the silmarillion was was the first one obviously the first first of the middle earth works really the major middle earth works published after uh J.R.R. tolkien's death and it obviously is. It's like a kind of a, a con- it's like a, um, it's a well edited version of. You can tell it's like been pieced together by Christopher, like from a lot of different sources, and he's kind of consolidated all these things into, into stories. Now, some of you are like still, I'm still confused by the Silmarillion, but but it, but when you compare it to like unfinished tales and the history of Middle Earth, all twelve volumes, you're like. This is a lot more easily read. At least it's just one thing. There's no like a side over here from right. e- editor stepping out of the story yes. to explain something to you. Yes. And 
I just, uh, I just wish that um, maybe he had continued in the style of the Silmarillion here, and and you know, give us, give us like the story, and then 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 the other half of the appendices, like you know, just what was wrong with that format? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I got to the point where I was just kind of like when I when I realized that we were stepping out of the story to provide like a note or like editor's comment or whatever, I just kind of skipped over it. <laughs> I was like, this is just going to confuse me. So I'm just going to stick with the story. Well, it gets confusing too, when it actually happens because you're dealing in this chapter with a, with a nested, uh, like a, a nested narrative. Right. 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 Cause you've yeah. got Frodo. It's, it's told from the frame narrative, as we said last time, this is all told from the frame narrative of Frodo, like recounting all of this and Minas Tirith mm-hmm. when they were all sitting down after the War of the Ring. Right. right? Yes. And, and then Gandalf is telling the story. Yes. And they were yeah. talking about all how it all played out. And then Gandalf mm-hmm. and then so Frodo is talking about Gandalf telling the story about right. how it all played. Right. So you're just it's like, who's talking right now? You know, what tense is this in? Um how it does can it get all fit together? Really confusing. But there's yeah. there is a textual history here. Um, that it, it's actually not terribly complicated. Christopher just makes it sound more complicated because of the way he writes about it. <laughs> uh, God rest his soul. Again, you know, go back and listen to our tribute to to Christopher from yes. a couple of episodes ago. Uh, we all have a humongous, as Tolkien fans, we have an incredibly large debt of gratitude owed oh, for to sure. Christopher. We're being pretty nitpicky right here. So That's these are more sure. just kind of like um, sending him little, you know, little winks of love up, uh, you know, up to up to heaven uh, for him. So just saying, you know, kind of would have been nice if maybe it made it a little easier to digest for, for us, uh, non for us, common folk, us common folk, right. Us Shire <laughs> folk down here. So, um, anyway, there are three basic manuscripts that this is pulled from. Uh, the first, he calls them a, B and C a and B are a is the original and it's very long and it's a lot longer than what we read in the first part of this right b is kind of is a like typescript of a and it's got a little bit of it's got a few like minor alterations uh i'm sorry with a great deal of further alteration though mostly of a very minor kind so it's a a lot of minor alterations yes b and then c is really what we have in the first part of the chapter so uh and it's a it's kind of an edit of edited like lots of things taken off from the a and b versions gotcha so that's that's the very simple way of explaining what we're dealing with here. C is what we read last week. A and B, he's adding in a lot of the stuff in A and B that's not included in C here. And is that what we read? Is that what we read in the appendix? That's what we're reading. Yeah, that's what we that's read. That's what this we're week. talking about today. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Most of these things came from A and B. They're, a and they're B. things that aren't in A and B. You mean I'm not sorry, in that C. aren't in C. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they're in A and B, but not in C. I feel like we need like a diagram. A or B, but not in C. There yeah, you go. That, that's what we need. <laughs> we needed a mathematical formula. A plus B does not equal C. C equals right something minus A plus something minus B. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah gosh, it is. It, it. You know, you get the Silmarillion. You know, they, he also they also did this with the Children of Four, in which we haven't yet read on this podcast, where they turned it into. We took this story that had many different like alterations over the years, and they put turned it into one complete novel. And I remember when Baron and Luthien was coming out, I was like, "Oh, that's what we're gonna get with Baron." You know, this is awesome. And it just ended up being like 
this you know it's oh, like is that what here's the original version here's like? the original version of the story here's another version here's another version here's another you know it's like different twists on it um and then i think i haven't even really cracked the fall the fall of gondolin even though i have it on my bookshelf uh to to explore it because my understanding is it's the same way as baron and luthien okay. so but uh but we'll get to those at some point way further down the road probably all right so yeah we got a b c we looked at c last week a and b are what we're looking at now so let's get into the details this is a the, the first part of this is a longer version of how thorin and gandalf came to meet mm-hmm. right yep so you know last on in version c it's basically just like yeah gandalf is on his way to the shire and he comes across a dwarf and it happens to be thorin and they get into a conversation right and he and gandalf basically pledges to thorin after talking to him for a little while that i will help you yes uh, recover your kingdom correct right? indeed this goes into a good a good bit more detail here and um uh, it, it says Gandalf had not yet played any part in the fortunes of Doran's house. He had not had many dealings with the dwarves, though he had a friend to, to those of goodwill and liked well the exiles of Doran's folk who lived in the West. But on a time it chanced that he was passing through Ariador um, when he fell in with Thorin Oakenshield and they talked together on the road and rested for the night at Bree. Uh, in the morning, Thorin said to Gandalf, I have much on my mind and they say you are wise and know more than most of what goes on in this world. Uh, will you come home with me and hear me and give me your counsel? To this Gandalf agreed, and when they came to Thorin's hall, he sat long with him and heard all the tale of his wrongs. From this meeting there followed many deeds and events of great moment, indeed the finding of the one ring and its coming to the shire and the choosing of the ring-bearer. Many therefore have supposed that Gandalf foresaw all these things and chose his time for the meeting with Thorin. Yet we believe that it was not so. For in his tale of the War of the Ring, Frodo the ring-bearer left a record of Gandalf's words on this very point. This is what he wrote. So, were you going to say something? You were tapping your finger like you wanted to say something? No. Okay. I'm just trying to keep so my bearings. Let me go back, because I, I got a little, a little confused as I was reading it. From this meeting, they followed, there followed many deeds and events of great moment. Indeed, the finding of the one ring, and it's coming to the Shire, and the choosing of the ring bearer. Many, therefore, have supposed that Gandalf foresaw all these things and chose his time for the meeting with Thorin. Um, so the, the, Yet we believe it was not so. Who right. is we? Like... Frodo and the rest of the fellowship. So Frodo's talking here. Yes. Got it. Yeah. So again, like there's kind of two views on Gandalf. One is that Gandalf like was just the master orchestrator of all of the way things all unfolded all the way from the finding it from Bilbo being chosen that Gandalf knew he would find the ring and, and that the rest, you know, would kind of lead to the War of the Ring. And so Gandalf was like kind of orchestrating all of this with great foreknowledge, right? And and then the other school of thought is that Gandalf didn't like that he was he was aware and he was worried about um about Sauron and the growth of the shadow and the return the return of the shadow. But um but he was just kind of like trying he was he was still grasp like groping along in the dark and follow like following kind of very like intuition okay. right and and a lot of these things and he and and so what we get is a lot of his reflection on that intuition and why he made certain decisions why he made like different decisions that he did so um i like this next part a lot because we get to hear from Gimli, who i don't think we heard from in the other no i don't think the other version Mm-mm. um do you want to read the from where it says 
uh, Gimli was there with us and he said to Peregrine? Yes. Gimli was there with us and he said to Peregrine, There is a thing I must do one of these days. I must visit that shire of yours. Not to see more hobbits. I doubt if I could learn anything about them that I do not know already. But no dwarf of the house of Durin could fail to look with wonder on that land. Did not the recovery of the kingship under the mountain and the fall of Smaug begin there? Not to mention the end of Bardur, though both were strangely woven together. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Strangely, very strangely, he said and paused. Then looking hard at Gandalf, he went on. But who wove the web? I do not think I have ever considered that before. Did you plan all of this then, Gandalf? If not, why did you lead Thorin Oakenshield to such an unlikely door? To find the ring and bring it far away into the west for hiding? And then to choose the ring bearer? And to restore the mountain kingdom as a mere deed, by the way? Was not that your design? So... Um, again, it's fun to hear from Gimli here. Um, and Gimli, you know, I like the fact that Gimli and like speaks on behalf of maybe all of Dwarvendom, um, at this point and saying that like the Shire is maybe going to become like this place of, of like pilgrimage for, for dwarves because it was, it was the place where like, like Bag End is literally where the quest for Erebor began, right? It was, yeah. it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of this That's where the plan was hatched. shrine to yeah. recover the mountain kingdom. So it's neat to think about the dwarves viewing the Shire in that way, especially given how they began by viewing, how they, how they began viewing their initial Bilbo, view of hobbits. Right? Yes. Their initial uh-huh. view of hobbits. Yeah. So Gimli is, Gimli is 
thinks that Gandalf was much more like up on things than obviously thinks that Gandalf like was like knew all the time, like what he was doing and you know, that, that he had us all planned from start to finish. And you know, it's, it's funny. I think a lot of times when you see somebody accomplish something great, something of like great historical consequence and everything, you can think to yourself like, Oh, they were just this mastermind and you know, they just, they saw it all and orchestrated everything. But I think that's, I think that's extremely rare, you know, they like, I think that's a, a way we mythologize people like, you know, famous figures of the past. But I think a lot of times people are just, and not to say that they don't have gifts that allow them to make intuitive, wise decisions that play out well. But I think sometimes you can mythologize somebody and, you know, and just being like, Oh, they're so brilliant. And, you know, like they can just do no wrong. And they saw this all unfolding and they were just, they were just, orchestrated they they knew ex- they were they were 20 steps ahead in this game of chess all the time right they, they, everybody just played into played exact they played exactly how played everybody exactly how they wanted them to you know so it's it was just kind of it's coincidence and lucky breaks and things like that is is that what you're saying <clears throat> well i think i think we learned in the hobbit and even in the lord of the rings that a lot of it a lot of a lot of the success does have to do with this thing called luck right I mean, that's a word that comes up a lot in Lord of the in uh, the Hobbit. Mm-hmm, that's and, true. Um, so it's it's not to say that there's not gifts that people have. Yeah, but that's not the only thing. But that's not the only thing, right? Um, that there, you know, there, there's maybe, I think in, in Tolkien, I think Tolkien would say, although he never gets clear about this in the world of Middle Earth, he would talk about how there's, you know, there's other. F- I mean, we we know since we've read the Silmarillion that there's other forces in play, the powers of the world, right? Mm-hmm. The great powers, the Valar, are mm-hmm. in play, sure. right? And even then, you've got Iluvatar, right, mm-hmm. behind it all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you know there are undoubtedly within the world of Middle Earth greater forces at play that whose operations and intents are mysterious. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Totally, I agree. totally mysterious. So, yeah. And 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 Gandalf uh he he kind of he kind of alludes to that a little bit in response to Gimli because it says Gandalf did not answer at once. He stood up and looked out of the window west seawards. Where does he look? To the west. Where's the mm-hmm. west? It's where the towards Valinor. Yeah, I was going to say that's where the Valar are. Yeah. Yeah. And the sun was then setting and a glow was in his face. He stood so he he stood so a long while silent. But at last he turned to Gimli and said, I do not know the answer, for I have changed since those days, and I am no longer trammeled by the burden of Middle-earth as I was then. In those days, I should have answered you with words like those I used to Frodo only last year in the spring. Only last year. But such measures are meaningless. In that far distant time, I said to a small and frightened hobbit, Bilbo was meant to find the ring and not by its maker, and you therefore were meant to bear it. And I might have added, and I was meant to guide you both to these points." To do that, I used in my waking mind only such means as were allowed to me, doing what lay to my hand according to such reasons as I had. But what I knew in my heart, or I knew before I stepped on these, on these gray shores, that is another matter. Olorin, I, I was in the West that is forgotten, and only to those who are there shall I speak more openly. So he, he alludes to the, you know, that he came here, right, on this mission from the West, Right from right. Valinor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 
Um, and he had some responsibility along with the other Istari, right? Who he doesn't refer to here, but along with the other Istari to work against Sauron, right? Yes. And you know, that was the specific reason for coming here to to Middle Earth in uh, early in the Third Age. So he speaks very strongly, I think, like these words with, um, you know, Bilbo was meant to find the ring and Frodo was meant, you know, to bear it. Those that alludes very strongly to that whole idea of destiny. Yeah. Right. Like this. This was the plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And and uh, Gandalf didn't necessarily have a hand in forming that plan. Obviously, he's that was probably Luvatar's job. Right. But he, like you said, was given certain gifts to by Luvatar mm-hmm. to to help these players achieve their destiny. But I, I find it interesting that he says um, he says doing what lay to my hand according to such reasons as I had mm-hmm. only such means as were allowed to me. Yeah. I feel like that's hinting a little bit at like he could have done more. Yeah, well, um, where is it right here? I think he says, uh, I, un- I understand you a little better now, Gandalf, than I did before, though I suppose that whether meant or not, Bilbo might have refused to leave home, and so might I. This is Frodo speaking. Mm-hmm. You could not compel us. You were not even allowed to try. But I'm still curious to know why you did what you did as you were then, an old gray man as you seemed. So... He's not saying I meant for you to find it necessarily. Like, right. You know, or he's not saying I meant for Bilbo to find it or I meant for Frodo to find it, but that they were, that they were meant to find it. It's almost mm-hmm. like he's speaking in the sense of like, you know, it was, it was foreordained. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so this all, and, and, and then Frodo and Bilbo, when, what are they having a conversation about here? They're having a conversation about, um, like, predestination and free will yeah right yeah it's pretty about, deep about the mysterious interplay <laughs> of the two right yep um and you know of course for me i i draw all this stuff back to the music of the ainur because uh you like it's all there right all of the all of the unfolding of the history of middle earth is mm-hmm. in the music of the ainur before before the world is even created and in some sense it's all there right how how it all unfolds and so you know this makes me think that he's either saying Iluvatar meant for it or one of the Val- or all of the Valar or all of them Iluvatar and the Valar mm-hmm. meant for it right and Gandalf was simply an instrument yeah but and, and as we find out more from Gandalf's point of view it doesn't seem like Gandalf had was like you know it doesn't seem like Gandalf had orders from anybody like go to go to the east go to the place called the Shire and find this little hobbit named Bilbo and send him on it. It wasn't like he had mar- like orders like that. Right. He was still like, he. all he knew was that he couldn't, he had to work against Sauron and he couldn't compel any of the free peoples of Middle Earth to work for to him. To help him, yeah. He wasn't allowed to, he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to like bend any, like break anybody's will, like to create his own army and his own, like his own slaves. Right. 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 He wasn't allowed to set himself as an as an alternative shadow. He had to work in accord with their free will and and means of persuasion, you know. And and certainly his own, you know, the force of his own personality. I mean, you know. But but you he couldn't 
he couldn't violate the free will of anybody, right. right? In doing so, right? He couldn't put them under a spell or force them to to do his bidding, yeah, against their will, right? Yeah. So, so he had to he had to work in their in their reality mm-hmm. by their rules. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it says Gandalf then explained to them his doubts at this time concerning Sauron's first move and his fears for Lorien and Rivendell. Um, that is why, to jump forward, I went off as soon as the expedition against Smaug was well started and persuaded the council to attack Dol Guldur first, before he attacked Lorien. We did, and Sauron fled, but he was always ahead of us in his plans. I must confess that I thought he really had retreated again and that we might have another spell of watchful peace. But it did not last long. Sauron decided to take the next step. He returned at once to Mordor, and in ten years he declared himself. Then everything grew dark, and yet that was not his original plan, and it was in the end a mistake. Resistance still had somewhere where it could take counsel free from the shadow. How could the Ringbearer have escaped if there had been no Lorien or Rivendell? And those places might have fallen, I think, if Sauron had overthrown all his power, had thrown all his power against them first, and not spent more than half of it in the assault on Gondor. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Gandalf looks back and says, "You know, I think if he had attacked northward with the full, you know, with with a much larger force early on, then he might have had a better chance of winning because there would have been nowhere ultimately for the ring to go. Instead of just sending kind of these scouts in the form of the ring wraiths into the north to try and find it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, so it was kind of a lucky break. Yeah, of you know, lucky, just from yeah. the very beginning." Luck, lucky breaks, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, that, yeah, that's a whole another interesting question. It'd be, it'd be interesting if there's like a countertext to this of like, unfortunately, you know, Sauron is gone completely now. Um, well, not unfortunately, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, in the sense that like it would be neat to like the interrogation of Sauron, like, mm. you know, like why did you do what you did, right? Yeah, um, get into this brain a little bit. It, you know, it, it's kind of like when you think about um, like. For histor- like from a historical perspective, all of the questions about World War II that we'll never know the answer to because of uh, the fact that Hitler killed himself right mm-hmm. in the in the bunker right that mm-hmm. we'll never like he was he never he never had to stand trial and answer for his crimes and explain why he made the decisions that he made uh, or anything like that and so we'll never know like why he chose certain matters why he made big strategic blunders at different times when he had like it looked like he had things right where he wanted them. So in similar way, we'll never know with Sauron because he's just, he's gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and for those of us who just like history and like to dig into the backstory of things, that's kind of a, you know, that's disappointment. I mean, I'll take, I'll take the victory over both in both sure. cases, Sure. but yeah. uh, you know, Be nice to have both. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, where was I? Let's see. Oh yeah. Then everything grew dark. Um, Right, so Gandalf is just giving his perspective on, um, you know, where he thinks Sauron made this strategic blunder and not attacking North first, and then he gets into talking about why he even thought to include somebody from the Shire in this, and this is how we know that it wasn't built. It wasn't like Gandalf was like just. It wasn't like Gandalf was like told by somebody go find Bilbo Baggins and send him. He's going to show up and he's going to show up in about three thousand years. Go find him and you know, right. uh, you know, and and make sure he finds Sauron's ring. He Gandalf was just following his his intuition and he had yes. he had yeah, this his intuition, gut. his gut to um, 
that there was something special about these these uh, people that lived in the Shire, these little people mm-hmm. that lived in the Shire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to read this part and then it says, and then there was the Shire folk. Yes. And then there was the, well, before that he mentioned the dwarves briefly, right? He sees his meeting with Thor and Oakenshield and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, they, they hate Smaug. I should get them on my side. Yes, that's So true. that's interesting. That helps. And then he says, and then there was the Shire folk. I began to have a warm place in my heart for them in the long winter, which none of you can remember. They were very hard to put to it then. One of the worst pinches they have been in, dying of cold and starving in the dreadful dirt that followed. But that was the time to see their courage and their pity for one their pity one for another. It was by their pity as much as by their tough, uncomplaining courage that they survived. I wanted them still to survive, but I saw that the Westlands were in for another very bad time again, sooner or later, though of quite a different sort. Pitiless war. To come through that, I thought they would need something more than they now had. It is not easy to say what. Well, they would want to know a bit more, understand a bit clearer what it was all about, and where they stood. They had begun to forget. Forget their own beginnings and legends, forget what little they had known about the greatness of the world. It was not yet gone, but it was getting buried, the memory of the high and the perilous. But you cannot teach that sort of thing to a whole people quickly. That was There was not time. In any way, you must begin at some point with, with some one person. I dare say he was chosen, and I was only chosen to choose him, but I picked out Bilbo. Yeah, and Peregrine says, now that is just what I want to know. Why did you do that? And so they get into that. But but again, interesting choices of words here. Um, first of all, uh, that Gandalf says, uh, I dare say he was chosen, but I was only chosen to choose him. Uh, I picked out Bilbo. So Gandalf doesn't look at himself and, you know, again, think that like... This was my idea. That whoever he chose was going to, you know, be the one to find the ring. But it was just like, I was part of this greater interplay, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, what can you really do if with somebody, especially if somebody of Gandalf's stature, right? Uh, who is fully aware of Iluvatar, right? Because mm-hmm. he was in, you know, he's a my, you know, he's a Maiar. So Gandalf was in the music of the Ainur, right? He was a, he's a lesser Ainur, mm-hmm. but he was in right. the music of the Ainur. Yeah. So, you know, when somebody finds themselves to have find finds that they, whoa, I played an, an incredibly huge role in this pivotal moment in history, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to think to think in those terms, like how how can how can a person is that's aware of so is of as much as Gandalf is not look at it and just kind of marvel at it all, right? Yeah. And be like, all I can say was I was chosen mm-hmm. to choose. Bilbo, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I didn't know I was necessarily choosing him or for what I was choosing him necessarily. I just had the sense that he had a role to play. I also like that he, he calls out the Shire folk um, and says, we we get little hints here and there that, that the hobbits have, even though like we think of them as just like this quiet people who nobody cares about, that there have been moments in history where they have played that that they've they've had their own great moments already mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they've just forgotten about them at this point right sure so we see it we hear a little bit about that in um i think in the in the first chapter of the hobbit right when it talks about i think when the that joking aside like when the um the game of golf was invented 
I think is what, when it talks about the, um, I forget which one, which like the old took or no, it wasn't the old took, but it was, it was one of the, um, like one of the old Hobbit warriors of old from hundreds of years ago. And he like knocks off a goblin's head and, and oh, it, fall, right. it goes into the ground. And so right, he, yes. they won this battle and, and invented the game of golf at the same time. All, I'm, yes, I'm butchering it, but yes, that's the idea. So yeah. So Bilbo is chosen by Gandalf. As humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Um, Gandalf was chosen to choose, to choose Gandalf him. to choose Bilbo. And I just wanted to say real quick, I think, um, like clearly, I feel like this is something. This is a perspective that you can't possibly have in the moment. Like mm-hmm. I think it's, I think that I'm going to go on a limb and say I don't think Gandalf would have. I don't think, as this was all unraveling, I don't think he would have used those words. Mm-hmm. I think that this is coming from a place of reflection oh yes and you know just kind of looking back on all the pieces and i i think even as you know humans we have these experiences right like we're we, things happen and and when you're in the middle of them you can't really quite understand what's going on or what's why this is happening or whatever but then when you're removed from the situation and you're reflecting back upon it you're like you know it was just meant to be mm-hmm. in a way um yeah and i think that's good i think that i think because if we were aware of those things while they were happening i think it takes away some of the some of the beauty and some of the um you know some of the the perspective that we gain when we're removed from it and it can alter our decisions you know i feel like if we were aware of these things in the moment that it could possibly change the course of of our decisions which obviously have a greater effect down the road so absolutely yeah i mean it's um 
yeah, it's just it's all part of this mysterious interplay between uh, fate and free will, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's pretty mind boggling. And, and I think what we're both trying to get at is you like sometimes people want to be like, well, it's fate versus free will, but it's not. It's like fate and free will are this um, are these two things like two things that go together. I don't know if you call them two sides of the same coin, but um, but they it's like fate is the larger the larger end to which things are ordered and into which things are moving and free will is is how we operate and within those things right mm-hmm. yes um yeah. yeah i mean free will has an effect on our fate right mm-hmm. but i think only to a certain extent but in the in the exercise of our free will too is like something that forms us right that yes. that forms us as we go right mm-hmm. we might in free will make a bad decision either a bad moral decision or just like a bad impractical like decision practically and have to learn the hard way about not playing that but that but that that wound of doing that leaves us with you know in the healing that we go through as a result of that leaves us with the ability to choose something better right absolutely further down the road Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah you know it's um yeah it's just it's it's a mystery. It'll make your head hurt, make your it head will. spin if we just yeah, think about it more. It's a little, but it's really interesting to me that, that Gandalf, being a Maya, himself uses these words. Yeah. You know? Um, which means that he's, even he as a Maya is clearly subject to a greater power. Right. Yeah. And I do, I do love your point about, like, just thinking about Gandalf. I mean, because they're all just sitting back, like, um, there's a line, one of my favorite lines in Lord of the Rings is when I think Faramir and Frodo, I think it's Faramir and Frodo are parting ways and they, um, and, and Faramir basically says like, it's the, it's a beautiful line and says, he says like, you know, when we, you know, hopefully one day we'll meet again and be able to look back on all this and laugh at old, you know, laugh at old grief, right. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, in the light of the sun, you know, yes. kind of in that peaceful, easy moment mm-hmm. after the storm has passed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, like that's what they're doing right now, yeah. right? Is they're yep. they're all like looking back on it and we're just reflecting on everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, for some of them, the hobbits probably, especially, they're just like, "How did we wind up here?" You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, you know, and it, it's something that when you're going through. You know, when you're in the midst of the storm, when you're going through all the trials, it's, uh, you know, there's not much sun. And so it's really hard to remove yourself and ref- and have these moments of reflection and be able to see the good that could possibly come from it. So there needs to be time that separates, you know, the, the happenings to to when you can actually see what was... What was really happening? You know, what what was really going on? Right. And it, how how was like what good things happened as a result of this? Even though going through it, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, we have a last this last little paragraph here right after this part where it says Gandalf, but but Gandalf is not like he, he basically just says. How would you select any one hobbit for such a purpose? I had not time to sort them all out, but I knew the Shire very well by that time, although when I had met Thorne, I had been away for more than 20 years on less pleasant business. Um, so 
So there's a little bit of a, like, and he, he looks at him, he's like, I need a little bit of Took in there, and I need a little bit of Baggins in there. Not too much of either one, but I need some of each. And he was like, well, then Bilbo, I guess he's the one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so so Gandalf is using his own, like, knowledge he's gained of the Hobbits to say, okay, you know, I need some kind of raw material here. I guess Bilbo's the one, right? <laughs> he just, you know, just process of elimination. Um and, you know, I guess Bilbo is the one, uh, you know, so unfortunately, if Bilbo was hearing the story, he wouldn't be like, you know, I saw and there was a light shining down upon him from a, from on high. And I was like, and I heard a voice speak, you are the chosen one. Bilbo is the chosen one. It wasn't any of that, right? Um, Couldn't be that easy. Right. So, um, yeah, so moving on a little bit. So um, I there's a long section where Gandalf and you know, if I skip over anything you wanted to mention, let me know, but there's mm-hmm. a long section where Gandalf and Thorin and Balin and Gloin are talking. And this, again, this goes back. I think they're in the blue mountains at this point and uh, Edward Lewin. And I loved, I, I loved how Bilbo, the story about how Bilbo came to be known as a thief because he was never a burglar never, but somehow no. he got hired as a burglar by and the dwarves all thought he was a burglar well know? i think gandalf wanted them to believe that like i think he realized like he knows dwarves and he knows their yeah he he knows their their personalities and their dispositions and he knew okay if i'm gonna sell this guy like this is what they want mm-hmm. i can't sell him as just a fat old you know fun loving adventure seeking hobbit yeah they ha- he knew that that's what the dwarves wanted so he kind of had to paint that picture right and um you know, first he had to persuade thorin that you can't just go off like you're, you're not gonna be able to form an army and go off marching to war against smaug you have to go secretly yeah and uh and and you need to do that because really you're in a desperate situation if you want to make this happen. So it's, it's going to have to seem a little foolhardy, but this is the way you need to do it. You need yep. to do it secretly. And therefore yep. you're going to need a, um, you're going to need stealth. He says, my plan is one of stealth. Um, and then you're going to need, you're going to need to take into account that Smaug knows what a dwarf smells like right. and rest assured he crawls through the lonely mountain, s- sniffing out dwarf. Right, mm-hmm. he is all the time. Right, you know, and this is, I liked this part because, and when we get to the Hobbit, we have this picture of like Smaug is just always like just kind of laying there on his pile of treasure, but Gandalf paints a different picture of him here. He says, "Rest assured, um, Smaug does not lie on his costly bed without dreams, Thorn Oak and Shield. He dreams of dwarves." You may be sure that he explores his hall day by day, night by night, until he is sure that no faintest air of a dwarf is near, before he goes to his sleep, his half-sleep, prick-eared for the sound of dwarf feet. Right? Mm-hmm. So, Smaug, it turns out, at least Gandalf believes, is much more... Um, he he's on the lookout for dwarves. Like, he doesn't trust that... He, he knows that at some point they're going to come back looking for their treasure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's more crafty than they give him credit for. Yeah, which, and more knowledgeable. Which is just interesting to me because again, we get that picture we get in the in the book is like, oh, he just lays on his pile of treasure all the time mm-hmm. and never moves, right? Mm-hmm. But no, like, at least according to Gandalf, 
that's not how he operates, right? Yeah. So they're going to need stealth and they're going to need a different smell that Smog isn't going to be able to detect or at least he's not going to recognize as dwarf. Right. Or right? at least see as threatening, right? I mean, right. a smell that he smells dwarf, he's going to feel threatened. Right. I mean, not that he wouldn't explore an un, an unrecognizable smell or an unfamiliar smell, but he might not necessarily have the same reaction Yeah. that he would to dwarf smell. So we get to, um, uh, where is it? The thief part. I don't know where it is. Uh, I got too long a section marked and I can't find the specific place I want. Anyway, I know what happened. See, the thing that struck me as funny about that scene, Greta, is Mm -hmm. that Gandalf, like, doesn't seem... He doesn't seem like he wants Bilbo to be known as a thief or that he even wants to sell him as a thief because obviously that would be a lie because Bilbo isn't a thief. But it's almost like in a moment of exasperation, he just says, sure, he's a thief, right? It's almost as kind of like a sarcastic response and they just take right. him at his word. Well, it's because I think I found it. It's because I think Thorne is being such a jerk. Yeah. Like he's being such a like arrogant, stuck up, you know what? And by the time, you know, because... Because uh, Gandalf mentions that you know, Thorne's like, oh, you know, hobbits drink out of clay, and you know they they live in in holes, and they're not, you oh, know, right. they don't have mm-hmm. nice stuff. Yes, basically. And then, um, and then um, Gandalf's like, oh, not this guy. He drinks, you know, wine out of um, out of crystal, and you know, whatever. He's got silverware. He's got silverware. Yeah. He's civilized, basically. Yeah. And so Thorne's like, oh, okay, then he's a thief. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and then, yeah. And again, I was like, sure, if that's what you really want to believe, that you think that the only reason a non-dwarf would have nice things is because they stole them from dwarves, right? I mean, isn't mm-hmm. that basically like, I think he's just kind of poking fun at, at Thorne and his ridiculous ego. Because he's basically, um, he th- I guess it's Balin that says... Yeah. Well, yeah, so, so Gandalf says... Uh, what I said that you would need stealth, I meant it, professional stealth. And, Gal- and Balin says, professional stealth? Do you mean a trained treasure seeker? Can they still be found? And Gandalf says, I hesitated. This was a new turn, and I was not sure how to take it. I think so. For a war, they will go in where you dare not, or at any rate cannot, and get what you desire. Uh, Thorin's eyes glistened at the moment of lost treasures moved in his mind. But a paid thief, you mean, he said scornfully. Scornfully. That might be considered if the reward was not too high. But what has all this to do with one of those villagers? They drink out of clay. That's where it is. They drink out of clay mm-hmm. and they cannot tell a gem from a bead of glass. Um, Gandalf says, I wish you would not always speak so confidently without knowledge. Yes. <laughs> right? I wish you weren't such an idiot all the time. Right. Um, and that's where, yeah. So, and drinks uh, drinks wine out of shapely crystal. Ah, I see your drift at last, said Balin. He is a thief then. That is why you recommend him. And then Gandalf says, at that, I fear I lost my temper and my caution. This dwarvish conceit that no one can have or make anything of value save themselves, and that all fine things in other hands must have been got, if not stolen from the dwarves at some time, was more than I could stand at that moment. A thief, I said, laughing. Why, yes, a professional thief, of course. How else would a hobbit come by silver spoons? Some come by a silver spoon. I will put the thief's mark on his door, and then you will find it. Yeah, um, so he's being sarcastic. Right. Yeah, but but they take him at his word. They do, right? Right. That's, that's the funny thing that's about it because all. Because they're dwarves, right? Yeah, but I was like, could you be any haughtier? Like that's yeah. so obnoxious. 
Like the only way that they that anybody a non dwarf would have nice things is if they if they stole them right from dwarves. from dwarves. Yeah, because dwarves clearly are the only people that can make nice. Well, things. especially a ho- as compared to a hobbit. Oh yeah, right? especially compared to a hobbit. One of these Shire folk. Yeah, right? what that drink out of clay cups. Right. right? Yeah. Ew, clay. Um, <laughs> so I just think it's hilarious that Gandalf almost like I'm not even sure. Sh- I think maybe they just picked up on it. They just ran with it so quickly they didn't even have a chance to be like, okay, he's not really a thief. Or maybe Gandalf was just like, good enough. Whatever. You know, this like, is what it takes. I didn't. I didn't intend to lie, but if if this is what it takes, then mm-hmm. okay, whatever. You know, um, mission accomplished. So. Right. What I think is interesting is after that, um, you know, basically Gandalf's giving Thorin the, all these tips about how you know, like. You, you have to be patient and um, and not easily put off. And, you know, he's probably going to have second thoughts. So you need to approach him at the right time. And I mean, I'm like, he basically is like prophesying like mm-hmm. the whole first chapter of The Hobbit. Like that's exactly how it plays out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, OK, don't even tell me you don't have for foresight Gandalf because this is total prophecy here. Yeah. I mean, well, Gandalf, Gandalf knows Hobbits. And he knows he just knows how to interact with just about anybody, right? He's he's always um, he's 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 just like uh, he's just kind of wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, you know. He's mm-hmm. he uh, he knows when to uh, you know when to poke a haughty dwarf in the eye and to get the intended reaction. Mm-hmm. But but he's always doing these things for. Uh, you know, for a good purpose, right? And, right? and he never, he's never trying to violate somebody's uh, freedom, right? Yes. That's, yeah, he's he's not trying to coerce them in any way. And at the end, he does, you know, toward the end of this conversation, he, he kind of does tell the truth here. He says, um, he says, uh, he is a middle-aged bachelor and yeah. getting a bit flabby and fat. Food is perhaps at present his main interest. And I'm like, well, and then Thorin's like, oh, if I didn't give him my word, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't, you know, I would be out now, basically. Yeah. So I think I think that's like maybe a little parting shot on Gandalf's yep. behalf. So I thought that was funny. And then uh, just to end out this that section, he says, uh, "I was Gandalf says I was thankful that I had told Thorin we should all stay the night at Bag End since we should need time to discuss ways and means. It gave me a last chance. If Thorin had left Bag End before I could see him alone, my plan would have been ruined. So you know, again, we have this sense of like it's good that Gandalf." had another opportunity after Thorne actually interacted with Bilbo some to convince mm-hmm. Thorne again, because right. Thorne was ready after meeting Bilbo was ready to just be like, forget this. Yeah. You know, yes. we're not bringing him along. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Um, last couple of little, little notes, uh, little fun notes. We come back to Gimli again. It says Frodo records that Gimli laughed. It still sounds absurd. He said, even now that all has turned out more than well. I knew Thorne, of course, and I wish I had been there, but I was away at the time of your first visit to us, and I was not allowed to go on the quest. Too young, they said, though at 62 I thought myself fit for anything. Well, I am glad to have heard the full tale. If it is full, I do not really suppose that even now you are telling us all you know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Of course not, said Gandalf. Of course not. So, yeah. Because he's Gandalf. And yeah, he's, he's, there's things that he's only going to tell to uh, to Yavanna and, right. and uh, Nienna. Because <laughs> he doesn't, the, uh, he's like, Gimli, you don't have the clearance. That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have the uh, level Valar clearance for right. some of this information, right? The right. Valar level clearance for some of this information. Exactly. This is This is uh, for Valar only knowledge, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. Valar level knowledge. Um, and then the last, oh, it, I also think it's funny. He's like, not allowed to go. He's like, you're too young. You're only 62 only years 62. old. Only <laughs> 62. <laughs> uh, dwarves. Dwarves are awesome. <laughs> dwarves are the best. All right. And then, uh, the last little bit from Mary Adoc here, uh, Mary, he says, it was nine years. Oh, uh, Mary question. I'm sorry. Mary questions Gandalf further about Thrain's map and key. And Gandalf says, It was nine years after Thrain had left his people that I found him, and he had been he had then been in the pits of Dol Guldur for five years at least. I do not know how he endured so long, nor how he had kept these things hidden through all his torments. I think that the dark power had desired nothing from him except the ring only, and when he had taken that he troubled no further, but just flung the broken prisoner into the pits to rave until he died. A small oversight, but it proved fatal. Small oversights often do. I love that last mm, last little line. So true. A small, you know, Sauron wouldn't have cared about this map and this key, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. Small oversight, but it ended up being it was literally the key to their success. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the way they figure out how to get to the Lonely Mountain, get into the Lonely Mountain, all mm-hmm. the above, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah. All that glitters is not gold. That's right. Yeah. Got to look beneath the surface. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right, so that's it for the discussion. Uh, we're going to do our letter of the week. We oh, are uh, boy. We, like we've had some uh, we had some mail from uh, Marilyn, the librarian, that we needed to catch up from. We did one of her longer letters last week, and we're going to read another letter from her from January thirteenth of this year. Uh, she says, "Hi, Carswells. First, let me add to my previous speak pi- speak pipe communication that the pronunciation information I gave refers to generalities. In other words, just because it's how Finnish or Welsh actually goes, it isn't necessarily how Tolkien uses it. So, by and large, words influenced by Finnish will accent first syllables and Welsh second or third syllables." I was always warning my students about the dangers of absolutes. I think they'd be amused to see how easily I slip into them myself. Hmm. Uh. I am delighted and impressed that you chose to tackle Aldarion and Erendis. It's not an easy story. I never taught it, so I'm not as familiar with it as with Silmarillion, Hobbit, or Lord of the Rings, which means even more learning for me through your podcast, and that's great. By the way, I've always thought it was pronounced Erendis. Remember, in addition to Quenya and Sindarin, there are multiple other languages in play when it comes to names. In this case, and in most of the Second Age material, one must also consider Andunaic, uh, Andunaic, 
a human language thought to be influenced by Kuzdul, the dwarf language, and so it contains many Semitic elements, both Hebrew and Arabic. This is the language the Numenorians brought with them to Middle-earth and during their various colonizations, and it is the origin of Westron, the common tongue spoken by peoples of Middle-earth between different cultures. In Tolkien's conception, Westron is represented in the Lord of the Rings text by English. Uh, she says, Greta is a great reader, and I agree with her that this is a hard story to read. There is nothing of you catastrophe about it, which is not too surprising, as I believe it represents the very first hints of the shadow returning to the land of the gift, and the earliest manifestation of the fear of the Numenorians, which eventually led to their listening mm. to the lies of Sauron. Uh, clearly, there's a lot in this story about gender roles and marriage relationships, so I'll, relationships, so I'll pose you a question. Why is it that women must learn to embrace the interests of their husbands, but not vice versa? I was moved by John's personal reflections, which seemed to me to sum up many of Tolkien's own dilemmas regarding his marriage. Indeed, I've often been curious about the extent to which his marriage influenced this work and other depictions of marriage in the Legendarium. I think he was working on a version of this in 1965, at which point his daughter Priscilla, who never married, would have been 36 and making a career as a social worker. Did she give him some new ideas about the roles of women and how men interact with them, of the expectations of each gender for the other? The bitter words of Arendus uh, concerning men, you haven't gotten to that part yet, have their consequences in the story, so I can't help wondering about their origins in Tolkien's mind. Um, just to pause there, so, um, I mean, it's a good question. I think we talked a lot about it in the episode, so this is from before I think we did some of the mm-hmm. episodes. Um, I think I think... If I if memory serves, I was kind of taking up the the more was I taking up the more like feminist arc side in in this discussion at one point. Maybe I think I was. You probably were. Which is just kind of funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm the one with the uh, the the masters in art, so I guess right. <laughs> yeah, but it is kind of funny that you know that that question. So I'm like, well, I was thinking about it. I'm like, well. I've been kind of forced to embrace John's love of Tolkien, but he has yet to embrace my love of cooking because he never cooks for me. Oh, I me. love your cooking. Are you kidding me? No, I'm saying you <laughs> have not taken it on for yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? No, well, I, no, I, I do. <laughs> I, I, I you make, do make good pancakes. I make pancakes. You make really good pancakes. I can scramble an egg. Mm-hmm. You yeah. make a mess of the stove in the process, I can though. fry an egg. I, mm-hmm. I am excellent with eggs. <laughs> <laughs> exceptionally excellent with eggs. It's true. But that it really is an interesting um yeah, it's an interesting question. I but I mean, yeah, that's a really interesting point too that she makes about Priscilla and mm-hmm. how her her you know, her choice, her the path that she took in life so different from obviously the path that Edith took. Um and so he's got you know, kind of these various perspectives on on women's role in society that he's working from. So I, it's it's really it's interesting to think about all the things that inform an author's work, and um, you know, and I, I think it can be kind of easy to 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 get out of the story a little bit and think about think about those influences, what was going on in his personal life that you know that maybe. Uh, informed how he portrayed certain characters or whatnot. So that's I, I love that Marilyn brought that up because I wouldn't have known it otherwise. Yeah, no, it's a great point, and I think uh, to your question, Marilyn. I, I mean, I when I look back, I think it's it's I think it's much easier to ask that question 
in a modern context than than it probably was in um in you know like the time of, even though we're talking about a fictional age than the age of Numenor, you know, we'll say, right? Because um maybe in Numenor that that would have been a reasonable question because it was a peaceful society, at least for the early time of his existence. And I think that's a, some of the tension we run into is like I think that's a one. Of, I think that's actually a theme. Is we're going to see Numenor explored more deeply, and I think it's one Tolkien put there intentionally. Was like, um, you've got the you've got the the seated question of like, uh, who becomes you know who becomes the monarch, right? Mm-hmm. And we know mm-hmm. that there's a early problem with that that has conse- major consequences down the road. Yes. Um, in terms of like, there's a a firstborn daughter who doesn't get to be the king because she's a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's so modern, right. Uh, but it, yes. it happens before, yes. um, mm-hmm. Aldarion and Arendis. Right. but then to, you know, to the question here, like you've got Aldar, like people aren't Aldarion is really the one who becomes the man of the sea who goes off and, you know, he, he starts to lead Numenor in this direction of being like thinking outside of the, outside of the confines of the Island. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I don't, maybe he's, he, he introduces that, uh, dynamic in a major way, you know, to, to the history of Numenor. But I also just think kind of in a, in a historical sense, um, I just think the world is, <laughs> has tended to be such a, um, dangerous place in the past mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, when you have, armies hordes of men you know big burly dudes come in storming the gates of your city with swords and gonna kill you right who is it that you're gonna throw up against them right it's it's your big burly men right sure yeah so this is a very like so this is a very uh just off the cuff sort of answer but it was it's the thought that occurs to me and and again like i think because of modern realities we're able to ask that question a little more safely why is it that women must learn to embrace the interests of their husbands but not vice versa i think in the past it's just historical accident in so many ways that it's been men who are going out and doing a lot of the dangerous stuff right Mm -hmm. in a in a physical sense right Mm -hmm. yeah and so everybody else everybody's going to kind of line up behind those things right yeah everything's kind of ordered towards those things right towards Towards the defense, right? Yes. <laughs> towards yeah. the um, towards yeah. the livelihood, all you know, all, all these sorts of things, um, and you know, women are left to bring up uh, bring up the children. And again, you know, very off the cuff thoughts, um, but again, modern context changes that dynamic for a lot of for a lot of reasons. Yes, so. it does. It does. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's good. I feel like it's a. I feel it's a bit. It's a loaded question. Well, I, I mean, like it can be. It is. There's a lot to it. Yeah, um, there's a there's a lot to it, and um, but it's 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 a really interesting thing to think about. Even in Tolkien's time, you you bring up Priscilla. Like, I mean, it was in Tolkien's time. It was the it was when he was a young man. It was all of the men who went off to fight when World War One and when. When even when Priscilla was a young woman, it was all of the men who went off to fight in World War Two, right? Right, but you know, behind every great man is a greater woman. We're not, you know, <laughs> no, we're not I, arguing no, about I, this. No, I know you're. I know we're but, not. But I, yes, and I, I totally get what yeah. you're saying. I do. Um, 
But in the same respect, you know, you think about all the men going off to war, like they couldn't, they wouldn't have been victorious without the women back at home, right? Like doing the sewing and volunteering as nurses and, you know, all the things that they did to support the war effort. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I like your term historical accident. I think that, you know, I think that's what's informed a lot of, a lot of the ideals and, um, the different, uh, you know, just kind of how things have played out over the generations between men and women and um, how they relate to each other. And, you know, and in a lot of ways, too, I think um, I think women are, are peacekeepers. Yeah. Not that men aren't. Yeah. But I think that, um, you know, I think and I see this in the tale, too, of um, in, in Erendis. Like, I think a lot of, and I think we talked about this in the episode, too. I think she just wanted to. She wanted to keep the peace for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. She she had her daughter's interests at heart and, you know, just just knew that if, if she made a different decision, things could get pretty unsettled. Yeah. And so she was willing to make the sacrifice just to, you know, she was choosing her battles. Yeah. Well, let's move. So there's more to Marilyn's letter. Let's move on. Good, good, good thoughts. Good yeah, reflections. Thanks, Anna. In fact, I've off. She says, in fact, I've often thought of this tale as a harsher version of the Ents and the Ent Wives. And both make me wonder about Tolkien's marriage. I do know that it originated in deep love, but also in some harsh, to my mind, demands on Edith, which came home to roost many a time. Yet I also think of the union of Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, which I consider to be one of the finest depictions of an equal relationship I've encountered, Mm. not just in Tolkien's writings, but in much of the literature I've read over the years. So it would seem that Tolkien had some ideas about the best and the worst sides of marriage and partnership. Which is remarkable when you think about it. Neither he nor Edith grew up in a two-parent household. Indeed, Tolkien had no experience with a traditional household from the age of 12 until after the First War ended and he and Edith set up their first home together. The wonder was that they were able to create a family and that family became one of their greatest sources of shared joy, according to the Carpenter biography. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that is, that is really, good thoughts. really good thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's remar- yeah, it is remarkable that, you know, Tolkien really um didn't have a normal home life so the fact oh, that um, neither did you. you know and, and you know in any in any marriage even it, even in the marriages that last there are always there's always tension there's always points of disagreement there's always good times bad times um but you know they did their marriage lasted for the entirety of their life mm-hmm. you know their of of edith's life and mm-hmm. then you know i mean tolkien didn't live much longer after she passed away, but, you know, never remarried or had any other romantic interests. So, um, you know, they were the love of each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure they learned a lot. I'm sure Tolkien learned a lot about, you know, about, um, about women, you know, oh, sure. about yeah. specifically Edith over the course yeah. of his life. Yeah. And just so. about Mary, you know, just about what the, the, relationship of of marriage entails yeah because yeah he never had he never had that an example for himself so he was really kind of learning it was on the job training yeah <laughs> basically for him um but no that's i love that she mentioned the ends and the ent wives but then also tom bombadil and goldberry yeah uh, yeah you know just compare and contrast those and yeah i mean i'm sure he knew a little i think we all know a little bit of both of those absolutely yeah well tom uh, Tom Bombadil, you're right. Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are maybe uh, the the picture of the perfectly functional relationship. Perfectly <laughs> functional. Um, yes. 
spousal relationship, I guess. So, uh, and she says, finally, some reflections on the dangers of colonization, even the well-intended sort. If you are not invited in, then there is, by definition, some sort of power over dynamic and expression of violence, however mild. If you perceive yourself as being more civilized, then it becomes even harder for you to see the occupations of those you colonize as their civilization, their medicine, architecture, art and music, sciences, even language and stories. It will seem lesser by comparison to your own until you can no longer even see it as a civilization. This is where the word primitive usually creeps in. And no one ever seems to consider the question of whether or not the others want you to share your culture with them. They may be very happy with their own culture, thanks very much, which is in all probability much more appropriate to the land where they live than anything you, the newcomer, might bring in. I don't get any sense that Aldarion intended his forays into Middle-earth to be anything other than a chance to gather resources, timber, safe harbors, fortresses. Of course, his approach to the realms of Círdan and and Gilgalad uh, was quite different. But then he knew that the elves were more civilized than his culture, which was why the Numenorians at this stage were still welcoming the Eldar to the island and performing the rites on Minotarma and placing the uh, Oyolere bow on the prows of their ships before leaving the harbors of Numenor. Civilization, it seems, is in the eye of the beholder, and we all need to open our eyes a bit wider, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, good thoughts. And, totally. you, know, it, you know, essentially agree with... Uh, agree with what you said um i i always uh you know i i think they're i i agree that a lot of the discussion starts with civilization is in the eye of the beholder i think there are uh arguments that can be made that there are bad things in civilizations as well in, in all civilizations as well as good things in, oh, in all course. human civilizations yes. yes um and and i think we can even look at that in a in an objective sense um and that's not meant to, you know, I'm I'm aware of all the, you know, kind of post-colonial theory and, and critical theory and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I appreciate it all very much. Um, and so, and, and so much of the history of like, uh, you know, European colonialism is, um, is just violent and awful. Um, but there, uh, the, the, the devil's always in the details too. So there's always, you know, there's, there's uh there's two sides to every story uh, and more cliches like yeah that. i was gonna anyway. say you're gonna get on that bandwagon huh? okay. i think i'm gonna save all my <laughs> i think i'm gonna save like it's just hard to have a good discussion without um without talking specifics on this kind of stuff so at some point i think we just need to talk about the the druidine from unfinished tales which we shall at some point so okay sounds good yeah that was a great letter it is thank well, you Marilyn. You know, Marilyn writes great letters yeah what she does say? yeah she's so good so um, yeah, we have, we have more from her. So, uh, mm-hmm. so we, she might be our letter, letter of the week for a while now. So we shall see. But yeah, I'm not complaining. All right. Well, that is the end of this episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you guys. On the next episode, like I said, we'll be discussing the history of the Hobbit, uh, by Ratliff and it is the 1960 Hobbit, the chapter that, that, that section of the book. And we're going to be spending probably a few weeks on that. So that's the plan. Right on. If you have correspondence, send it to Tolkien Road Podcast at gmail.com or go to the website and send us a note through that. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks to our patrons. Um, you guys rock. We wanted to say especially thanks to our $5 or more patrons, Eric B. Daniel P. David B. Chuck F. Ish of the Hammer. Chris L. James L. Al T. Zeke F. James A. Emilio P. Shannon S. Teresa C. Asia V. Brian O. Thank y'all. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk at you next time. 
Bye, guys. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.